We're going to be in John chapter 14 today. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible, uh, I think that today is a day where we just are reminded once again that the gospel matters. The gospel matters in people's lives here in Dallas, Texas, and the gospel matters in people's lives uh, all the way around the world. A little backstory on John uh, Charks. Um, I was talking with a friend this week who had been a really early on connection for John, Ian Boyd. Some of you may know Ian. Ian and Catherine graduated from UT and moved up and were a part of our church. Uh, She was going to grad school for speech path at UTD, and Ian was working in a hospital, but his real dream was to be a sports writer. And uh, he is a somewhat of a legend in UT sports circles. So if you are a Longhorn, uh, I will look up Ian's screen name for you and had many Longhorns tell me that guy is a legend and they'd be excited to meet him. So anyway, that's what Ian was doing, trying to figure that out. And he and John met actually online because John also went to UT and had a love for sports and John wanted to be a sports writer. Their relationship that kind of sprung up around UT sports Uh, John got to know Ian and Catherine a little bit and uh, was drawn to something in them. Ian's pretty self-deprecating, if you know him. So he's like, I'm not really sure. I'm just trying to figure life out. But there was uh, what we know is Jesus at work in Ian and Catherine. And John was seeing that. So John reached out to Ian and Catherine and said, hey, uh, could we we meet for dinner? Uh, I'd like to actually meet in person. So they meet in person. Uh, for the first time and are talking. And John's questions uh, for Ian as they get going, similar to his questions for Joe, he wanted to know about this whole Christianity thing. Was it required to become a Tim Tebow fan if you were a Christian, right? This was a time Tim Tebow, football player, believer, uh, was very well known. John was a UT guy, a Longhorn, not a Florida Gator, was not sure about becoming a Tebow fan if that was part of the deal was not quite sure, wanted to know if it, was, if it meant you could never drink alcohol again. Just what was all this Christian life about? And Ian described their first dinner leaving so confused at where are these questions coming from? They built a relationship, Ian, Catherine, and John, as John was working out, trying to figure out life and Jesus. And John was really looking for uh, a, a, a way to follow, a leader to follow, a way to live life and make sense of life. And he was seeing something at work in Ian and Catherine and the community around them that he was drawn to. Well, Ian and Catherine moved with our church plant to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, And as they were going, uh, they suggested that John try out a church, gave them a couple churches, including ours. So John came uh, and visited our church for the first time in his kind of spiritual journey at Ian and Catherine's recommendation. And his big concern, not having grown up in a church background, his big concern was uh, when, we, when he came, would this be a right-wing Republican political rally? That's what he had heard churches were about. Um, so you can tell he's a man of many questions. Comes in and finds people like y'all that were warm, that were friendly, that loved him and wanted to worship Jesus. And so this became, this community became a place that the Lord worked powerfully in John's life. Uh, Followed up, Joe went and met with him at that Chipotle there on Southwestern in Greenville. I still remember you coming back and being like, I just had the most interesting 
uh, lunch appointment maybe that I've had in a long time. John, full of questions. Again, Old Testament, New Testament. Help me out with this. Um, Gave his life to Christ, got connected to Life Group. Again, that was a new environment for him. And you guys were so gracious uh, with him. He heard there was food at Life Group. And if you're new to Life Groups, there is food oftentimes at Life Group. So that was a draw. I wasn't sure what to do in worship. So he would do stretches like calisthenics because he wasn't sure about his whole hands thing, but just a place for him to grow and a community relationships for him to grow in his faith. Made a decision to follow Jesus, got baptized at Easter a few years ago. um, And the Lord was just at work in his life and through his life. Went through the discipleship school and, you know, John wanted to be a sports writer. uh, And at that time, I think he was doing beer delivery and kind of trying online to be a sports writer, didn't really know where to go, but, but somewhere along the way, uh, learned uh, some basic teaching on hearing God in prayer. So began to pray about his dream of being a sports writer, and he sensed the Lord speak to him to stop wasting time on social media, that may be a word for some of us uh, here in the room, and actually devote yourself to creating a, a blog about basketball. So John responds, you know, baby steps of faith, starts uh, writing stuff on basketball, on the blog, gets off of social media. And then lo and behold, out of the blue, has a company reach out to him. Uh, That company's known as The Ringer. Uh, They're a really well-known sports platform. They had found his blog and wanted to hire him as one of their early on employees to be a full-time basketball writer, podcaster off of, they found the blog that John wrote out of that step of faith to the Lord saying, I want you to focus on this. John also, one of his big questions for Ian uh, starting out was he wanted to be in a spot where he could have a wife and a healthy relationship and a family. And also just praying about that, uh, since the Lord uh, saying, John, get off all the dating apps that you're on. Uh, not making a comment on dating apps. You can take that as you will. But he just sensed the Lord say, stop focusing on that for a season. And he, in prayer, sensed a specific date that he was supposed to wait until before kind of venturing out in the dating app world again and just had a sense of faith that something was going to happen. Well, that date came. He was at a service project uh, that our church was doing. And after that, some of y'all invited him to go eat lunch and play volleyball Uh, On that specific date, he's there playing volleyball. Lo and behold, uh, Melissa, who is also a part of our church, happens to be there. They don't know each other, and the rest is history. Uh, Their relationship begins. They get married. uh, And and John was not just someone that was invested in by our church community, but John was an investor in our church community. There are so many of us whose lives are richer, better, Fuller, we know Jesus more because of the way that we've been loved by John and Melissa and Jackson Charks. Um, and over the last year and a half, year and seven or eight months, I know so many of us have prayed with them, carried them in our hearts. I know they've carried us in their hearts. I was with John. Um, I may get emotional on this one. I was with John in the hospital a couple weeks ago. And um, he had just had surgery to have some tumors removed. I'm there to check on him. And before we go, he, in, in all seriousness, it's like, hey, I've got, I've got some time. Could you tell me how I could pray for you and your family? 
And I told him about my kids starting school and just some of the things going on there. And so he's typing notes in his phone there. I've come to pray for him and care for him. And he's there thinking about how could he pray for my kids starting uh, high school and junior high. And that was the type of person that John uh, was and how he was to many of us. And so today, as we uh, mourn John's passing from this life, we are like Joe said, and like the scripture calls, we are those who do not grieve without hope. But because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done in John's life, what Jesus has done uh, to death, we have a different story. The death does not have the same sting. Yes, we lose a brother for a moment. But John's faith is now his side. He's standing face to face with Jesus, the one who saved him, who redeemed him, who redeemed John's life from the pit. And John has left a different legacy. Uh, Through his cancer, even, he was given a worldwide platform in his pain that his story has gone far and wide and been a place where God has been glorified. So we're going to be carrying uh, the Charks family uh, in our hearts over the coming days, weeks, and months. And I'll try and put in the newsletter uh, information about a memorial service uh, as I get that. But I know that so many of y'all know this, and some of y'all, this may be your first time with us. You're like, I, I don't know. But, but the big point of why I'm telling you this story is, is the gospel matters. And it mattered in John's life. It mattered that he could experience Jesus and experience Jesus through people like y'all. And the gospel matters around the world in East Asia. What Amanda didn't mention in her story was just how few Jesus followers there are in the places that she lives. And so she is there proclaiming Christ, loving people, lifting Jesus up, and the gospel matters here, there, and everywhere. Eternity matters, what Jesus has done matters. And that's why we're gathered here today. We've been going this year through the gospel of John, really focusing in on Jesus and encountering him in fresh ways. We're going to be in John 14 today. Uh, Jesus uh, in John 13 has washed his disciples' feet. He has told the disciples that Judas is going to betray him. He's told Peter that Peter is going to deny him. And in John 14, we turn into a number of chapters in a row of pure Jesus speaking. One line upon another, upon another. People probably most, uh, most know Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's about three chapters long. Jesus' dialogue in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is another one of his most famous sermons where we get taken into the heart of Jesus and encounter him there. These are words that he's giving to his disciples, and this is where we're going to be today. I had originally entitled this, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, But with the news of our brother, John Charks, I'm going to retitle this today. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. 
So Jesus starts this incredibly important sermon just before he's going to be betrayed, just before he's going to go to the cross, as he's sharing the depths of his heart, the interior of who he is with his disciples. He starts it with the line, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, if you took speech class growing up in school, I doubt that they told you the ideal opener to a talk is do not let your hearts be troubled. Normally they say open with a story or open with an interesting fact or an antidote. Why in the world would Jesus to his disciples in this most important speech, why would he start with a statement, do not let your hearts be troubled? And it is because the disciples then and now were going to encounter significant and persistent trouble in the form of trials of temptations and tribulations. Their life was not going to be an easy one and their discipleship to Jesus was not going to be a life of ease and comfort and peaceful living. No, they were going to face many trials and many tribulations, many pressures, and he knew that and he wanted to strengthen them that they might be able to stand and walk faithfully with Christ through what was to come. And these words have been important to believers around the world and throughout the generations and are important to us because as we live as disciples of Jesus, we too will face persistent opportunities for trouble, trials, temptations, and tribulations. So Jesus is speaking because he's wanting to strengthen them and equip them. Earlier in the week, uh, Matthew chapter 4 and 25 Jesus spoke to his disciples about some of the trials, some of the temptations, and some of the tribulations that they would be facing. We'll put this up on the screen and you can follow along. Matthew 24, Jesus says to his disciples, this happens, I believe, on a Tuesday. The dialogue in John 14 is on Thursday before he's crucified on Friday. So just a couple days before, Jesus says, you disciples... You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be tension or there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony of all nations and then the end will come. So on Tuesday, Jesus told his disciples of things that they were going to encounter and that we as disciples, we will encounter. They were going to encounter war and rumors of wars. They were going to encounter ethnic conflict of nations rising against nations, of kingdoms battling. They would encounter famine, earthquake, persecution, death, hatred, betrayal, apostasy, false prophets, deception, and even an increase of wickedness. 
that would be so intense that the love of most would grow cold. How many of you know those are a significant list of trials, temptations, and tribulations? And if you're a disciple and you're hearing Jesus say this, you have to be wondering, oh man, what have I gotten myself into? Jesus knows these are coming for the disciples. And he's wanting to strengthen them. In John 13, though, we see that, wait, there's more. There are more trials than just that list, that they were also going to face the death of Jesus. He was their friend. They were going to face the loss of a friend. He was their leader. They were going to face the loss of their leader. He was the one in whom they had their hope. And they were about to go through that. They were going to face betrayal. That not just was Jesus betrayed by Judas, but the whole group was betrayed by Judas. One whom they thought was their friend, who they had prayed with, who they had served with, who they had followed Jesus with, and now he turns on all of them. We talked about betrayal last week. Have you ever been through a betrayal? It's incredibly painful. They were going to face personal failure. Peter himself would deny Jesus three times and have to deal with his own sense of personal failure, and all the disciples would abandon Jesus. And they were going to face the delay of God's promises, What they believed God was going to do was not going to happen in the way that they thought it was going to happen. These were significant trials, troubles, and tribulations. And that's what was before them. So Jesus, it's very important to them that he equips his disciples with how are they going to stand in the face of these troubles. It would be very easy, we would all agree, if that was coming at you to say, I'm going to let my heart be troubled. This is troubling. And Jesus wants them to have the strength to withstand trouble. Now, it's not just them, but we all are going to face incredible levels, persistent trials, tribulations, and troubles just by nature of being alive on our planet. We live in a fallen world where things break, where diseases happen all of the time. Sometimes we face troubles that are self-induced. You and I, we do dumb things, we get ourselves in trouble, and we're like, oh my goodness, I am in a trial, but it's a trial that I brought on myself because I did something dumb. Sometimes I've heard this referred to as we pay stupid tax. We pay tax for doing dumb things all the time. Sometimes we face troubles that are demonically induced. The enemy is real. Jesus said that he is here to steal, to kill and destroy. And sometimes we are going to face troubles and trials that are inspired by the enemy. Sometimes we face troubles that are a product of a fallen world. We live in a world where things break. And sometimes we face troubles that are God-induced, meaning for following Jesus, we are going to get ourselves into troubles. It happened with the disciples and it will happen with us. James chapter one says it like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It does not say if you happen to face trials. It says whenever you face trials. It doesn't say trial singular. 
It says trials, plural. It doesn't say one type of trial that happens over and over again, but it says trials of many kinds. Acts 14, 22, Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So to faithfully follow Christ, it means that we will live a life of hardship. 2 Timothy 3 tells us everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. No option there. No, maybe this will happen. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is important for us. Troubles are not a sign of the lack of God's faithfulness or his goodness in our life. Nor the troubles, the sign of our own lack of faithfulness or lack of God's goodness. Maybe sometimes our troubles are self-induced, but not all the time. Troubles are going to be the normative pathway, are going to be normative on our pathway to enter God's kingdom. And troubles are not troubles unless we're actually troubled by them, meaning unless they really bother us. I think this is so important for us to hear. I was thinking back as we go through the Gospel of John, my first sermon series here uh, as the lead pastor, we went through the Gospel of John. And now I think that's nine years later, we're back in the Gospel of John. And I've thought about the different things we've talked about and we've studied from God's word as a community. We've learned about being made in the image of God. We learned about how the gospel changes everything. We've learned about being salt and light. We've learned about the freedom that God brings in our lives as we went through the book of Exodus. Uh, we've studied so many different topics, spiritual gifts. What does the church look like? What does family look like? What does it look like to parents? So many things. But as I'm going through the gospel of John, as I reflect on these last three years, and I think about us in Dallas, in our generation, one area where I'm like, man, this is just something that's so easy for us to miss and to buy into other narratives is about trials in the life of a believer. What do we do when we encounter trials? What do we do when we encounter troubles? What do we do when we encounter tribulations? And for the last three years, we as a generation have been in a seminary of trials. And if we don't understand God's perspective on trials, when they come, because they will come, whether we're following Jesus or not, we will face trials. We won't know what to do. Jesus has a way for us, as we see here, a way that we can partner with him and where we have agency, where though we are in troubles, we cannot have our hearts weighed down by them. It doesn't mean that there will not be anxieties, fears, disappointments, perplexities, confusion, unanswered questions, but that there is a way for us not to have our lives dominated by these emotions, even in the midst of trial temptation, and tribulation, that Jesus has a way for us. Amen? And here he gives to his disciples 
the way forward. So for everyone who has lived enough life to realize what I'm saying is true, that our lives will be marked by trials, we need to know Jesus's way forward because he does, as our leader, have a way forward for us in the midst of the trials. <coughs> Where though we may go through hardships, our hearts cannot be overwhelmed with the troubles, but that we can find life in Christ, even in the midst of difficulty. Jesus gives his disciples two important lessons. Number one, he says in the passage, what are they supposed to do to not let their hearts be troubled? Uh, He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. So first thing that Jesus says to strengthen his disciples that their hearts might not be troubled is that they would believe in him. Now, these disciples, they grew up in a culture of faith. They already believed in God. They already believed in an invisible God who was leading their people. Jesus was saying, I want you to put your trust in me. This was not an altar call for salvation. He had just pronounced them clean. This was a lesson for disciples that in the midst of troubles, you and I, we have a choice of what do we do with our hearts? What do we do with our faith? And when he says believe, he's not just saying, do you believe I'm real? No, no, this is much more than that. I want to take these notes. Uh, I want to make sure I say this the right way because it's so important. And I want to give credit to Mike Bickle, uh, who articulated this way, and I just thought it was awesome. He defines the belief right here as trust and allegiance to the person of Jesus, to the promises of Jesus, and to the leadership of Jesus. So that when you and I, when these disciples, when they were facing the trials that were about to come upon them, the tribulations that this is not working out like I thought, Jesus says, I want you to trust my leadership. I want you to trust my person. I want you to trust who I am. And I want you to trust my promises. And if you will focus on those things and putting your trust in me, though you will not understand what's going on around you, Though you may not have all the answers, though it may seem like things are falling apart, I want you to put your trust in me because this is how your heart can live in the midst of trial but not be owned by troubles. This is how the disciples could have joy or peace. So many of us want the peace that surpasses understanding. Godly peace does not come from smooth sailing in our circumstances. Jesus is saying, it comes through putting your trust in me. And he wants his disciples to trust him even when they don't understand. This is so hard. Even when they have questions, even when it's like, this is not working out like my theology says it should, but I am putting my trust in you. And as I put my trust in you, Jesus, what happens? My heart doesn't have to be troubled, even though I'm in a trial. The second thing that Jesus does, and this is so surprising, so incredibly surprising. I would not think this is how you would give a a pep talk for people going through trials. What does he say? What's the next thing that he says? He starts talking about his father's house that has many rooms and that Jesus is going there to prepare a place for them. So Jesus tells them, 
If you want to not let your heart be troubled in the midst of trials that are coming, I want you to trust in me. And he gives them an eternal perspective. He tells them, I want you to think about the big picture. He starts to talk about his father's house. And this is what he wants them to anchor themselves into. My dad uh, was a runner and growing up, he would talk to me about running, distant run, running for distance. And he would run, uh, my growing up years, it seemed like every morning he was going out for a run. And he would try and teach me how to go on these runs. And he said, the key is not thinking about the end. Just set yourself little mile markers along the way. And that's how you can endure over miles. You don't think about how far you have to go. You just pick a, pick a little sign, like maybe that joy box sign, like I'm going to run to that. Then I'm going to pick the next one. And that's how he taught me. This is how you run for distance. And the kingdom, very different. Jesus is not saying, hey, don't just look at what's around the corner. Don't have a short-term mindset. I want you to zoom out and I actually want you to think about the finish. I want you to think about eternity. I want you to think about my father's house. How often, church, do we spend time thinking about the father's house? I imagine for most of us, our lives can be overwhelmed with just day-to-day stuff. But Jesus is saying, trust me, and I wanna give you revelation of the Father's house. I wanna give you an eternal perspective. When he says the Father's house here, he's speaking about heaven. Throughout the New Testament, heaven is described in various terms. Uh, Heaven is described as a country because of how vast it is in Luke 19 and Hebrews 11. It's described as a city uh, in Hebrews 11 because of the relational, uh, the the dynamics, the diversity of the people. It's described as a kingdom because God rules and reigns there in 2 Peter. It's described as a paradise because of its beauty in Luke 23. Uh, And here, Jesus describes heaven as the place where his father's house is. It's our ultimate home. It's where we are all going in Christ, that Jesus is taking us home. He's taking us to the place where God relates to his people as a father who heals, who provides, who cares, and who nurtures. The father's house is a place where we are loved and known and celebrated. And it is a place of peace, peace with God and peace with others. Though you and I live in a world of trial, tribulation, and temptation, We can find resource in Jesus not to let our hearts be troubled as we fix ourselves on our eternal perspective, our Father's house. So Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me and I want you to look with an eternal perspective to my Father's house. That is where I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus says that in his Father's house, there are many mansions I guess someone did the math on this. I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, That if you take the description of heaven uh, in scripture uh, and you compare it to London, London, England, London is 140 square miles, 140 square miles. Uh, The New Jerusalem, as described in heaven, is 2,250,000 square miles, meaning the population that heaven could hold is 100 billion people. That's amazing to think about. That's a big place. 
That's where Jesus is taking us. That's where uh, we can, in the midst of a world with trials, temptations, and tribulations, like the disciples were going to face, that's something that we can set our eyes on, that we can set our hope on, something that informs our grief. It doesn't mean that we don't feel anxiety. It doesn't mean that we don't feel sadness. It doesn't mean that we don't feel sorrow. We don't wrestle with questions or seasons of doubt. But as we come back to consistently, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your leadership. Even when I can't see right now, I trust you. And I'm going to set my perspective on eternity. I'm not going to look at the person on the right or the left or, or this year or next year as kind of my measuring stick. No, no, no. I'm going to set my gaze on the Father's house. I'm going to anchor in there. Then we begin to find the resource that we need to navigate this life that we live, but to navigate it not being owned in our hearts, not letting our hearts be troubled, but having the peace and the joy that the Holy Spirit brings in the midst of chaos and calamity. And as we uh, celebrate and mourn the life of John Charks, the life uh, well-lived, we celebrate that John today is in his father's house. He's home. And we celebrate that for every one of us who follows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who Jesus, we, we've committed our lives to follow him as John did, that we too, that we have a leader who can be trusted in the midst of the trials. And that we have a home that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and for me, a place where we truly belong. We are passing through this world, but that home is for eternity. And I wanna invite you to stand As we sing this last song, uh, it's a song we've sung a number of times uh, over the past few months. It's called Son of Suffering. And it talks about what Jesus has gone through, the trials that he went through, and what he did for us on the cross, and where our hope truly is anchored. And so as we close our service today, I want to invite you guys and gals to worship with me. Uh, to this song. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to take time to worship and put our trust in the Lord and set our gaze on eternity that we might find that same resource that Jesus has promised. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of temptation, Lord, that we can trust you that we can put our trust in your leadership. God, that you have not promised us an easy life. You have not promised us a life where everything just works out perfectly and is smooth sailing, Lord. We know that we will face trials and temptations and tribulations, but in the midst of those storms that we can trust you. And in the midst of the storms of life, we don't have to let our hearts be owned by the storm. We don't have to let our hearts be owned by anxiety. For everyone here today, I, I know there are people here that, that we've been owned by anxiety this year. I want you to know there's grace for you today. We put our trust in Jesus' leadership. Everyone has been owned by fear. Everyone has said, man, I, my heart has been troubled in the midst of trouble. 
there's fresh breakthrough for us today as we set our eyes on the Father's house, on our ultimate home as we cultivate that eternal perspective. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us. Thank you that you made a way for our brother John. Thank you that you have made a way for his family. Thank you that you've made a way for all of us, not by our own works, but by your grace, Lord. And we look to you here today and we let our hearts not be troubled. As the worship team leads us, I want to invite you to respond.